your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. That is turning that way, consider for a moment that Jesus, even as he's been proclaiming throughout this gospel, is the source of all life. He is the source of all life with respect to creation. All things came into being through him and apart from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being, John 1, 2. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, John 1, 4. And he's also the source of eternal life. Life as life has always existed in God. He declares, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, on him the Father God has set his seal. And it's with respect to eternal life that Jesus, at this point in John's gospel, proclaims the second I am. The first was, I am the bread of life, John 6.35. The bread that produces eternal life. And the second is like it. I am the light of the world where life is that which produces eternal life. Look with me at John chapter 8. I'm going to read from verse 12 all the way down to verse 30. It says this, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. For the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I go. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written, The testimony of two men is true. I am testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. They were saying to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Jesus was in the treasury where he taught in the temple, and no one came to him because his time had not yet come. Then he said again to them, I go away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. For the Jews were saying, Surely he will not kill himself here. He who says, Where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sin. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. They were saying to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that it was Jesus who had sent the Father. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. At this point, he explains many things to the Jewish people. 
John is in verse 12 and following. I need to remind you that in the celebration of the Feast of Booths, there are two intensely symbolic features. The first is water, which we talked about last time. And the, the primary connection with water at the Feast of Booths was the, the water that was provided by Moses miraculously from the rock. When, when Israel was thirsty in the, the desert and, and her thirst was quenched and water was brought forth from the rock, which Paul later declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the rock is Christ. And that's why Jesus declares in the, the, the feast, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, John chapter 8 says. And so water is intensely symbolic and critical in the celebration of the Feast of Booths. And so is life. Light is symbolic of the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And God led Israel through the wilderness each day and night with a pillar of cloud by the daytime and a pillar of fire by the night. Light which guided Israel in the darkness of night. And to commemorate that, Jerusalem would be lit up once darkness fell over the land during the feast. Four massive candles were lit in the temple, and this would mark the beginning of the nighttime festivities. And the picture that's painted is that once the temple candles were lit, light would spread throughout the city. The light that lit up the temple would, would, would signal to the people that it was time to light their torches and they would begin to dance. And since much of that celebration took place on the roofs of their homes, it's hard not to envision just a, a sea of, of torches that lit up the land commemorating the pillar of fire that led Israel in the darkness of the night. And in the flow of the narrative here in John, it's conceivable that night has fallen. That our Lord's proclamation that He is the, the, the water that quenches thirst was made in the light of day. And then the interaction between the Sanhedrin took place in the period that followed that. And that now darkness has fallen on the land. And now Jesus, at this particular point in the flow of the narrative, declares that He's the light of the world. Again, this is the second I am statement of John's gospel, an amazing declaration it is, especially in light of Old Testament prophecy, pun intended. In making this statement, Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah, and the Pharisees knew it. And they knew it because of what Isaiah said. And these connections are critical. Again, you need to turn to Isaiah 4. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. chapter 9, we see an amazing prophecy that's made concerning the Messiah. There's even reference in verse 1 to Galilee of the Gentiles. And this is in a context that will have a very familiar prophecy that we'll read momentarily. But look at verse 2 for me. In Isaiah 9 and verse 2, it says this, The people 
and yet remain in the garden. possibility is what those who follow Jesus are in possession of. Look what it says there. He says, but we'll have the light of life. The light that produces life. Eternal life. Jesus is the light of the world and those who follow him have him. And have him in such a way that they possess the life that originates with him. Life that is inseparable from pure, unadulterated life. This meaning that we meditate on the significance of this statement, that this is implicit in what Paul is doing.
They want to challenge his testimony. They reject his truthfulness. And that was huge to an opportunity for Jesus to issue these very words religious and spiritual rebuke. Let me take a little shot for a second. Truth before the Pharisees. Truth before the faithful Jews and the Pharisees. Everyone, you are testifying about yourself and your testimony is not true. Now some believe that issue here is one of validity. That Jesus, since he's testifying about himself, doesn't have a valid testimony. It's legally inadmissible that Jesus can't make testimony of himself on his own. There needs to be at least two witnesses. And that may be what's happening, but I tend to think that what's actually happening here is that the Pharisees are simply rejecting the truthfulness of Jesus' claim. Remember, they have already had some interaction, and they've already had some interaction revolving around testimony. The testimony that Jesus brought to them, but they rejected. It was the Father's testimony in John the Baptist, in the work that Jesus performed, in the words that Jesus spoke, and even in the Old Testament scriptures that witnessed to him, and they were not willing to receive that testimony. And so I don't think that's the issue here. They're simply saying, you're a liar. You're not who you claim to be. Corinthians 2.14. The flesh is incapable of hearing 
actual appraised one, that meant the Pharisees were incapable of rendering right judgment of their Jesus. They couldn't. It was an impossibility. They were already unwilling to do the will of God, so they weren't going to be aware of the fact that our Lord's teaching was not geared to the Lord who sent them the Father. condition, utterly incapable and unable of spiritually accepting Jesus and His Son. In contrast, in the verse 15, I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. See, Jesus, coming into the world, didn't come with prospective judgment. He came to save, as we discussed in John 2, 17, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might come to save through Him. His mission was not a mission of condemnation, but of salvation. But even if we do judge, His judgment is true, and it would be true. And it would be true because He was not seeking His own will, but the will of Him who sent Him, and therefore He would only judge as He even as John 5.30 indicates. Jesus could render sound and accurate judgment because he could judge in a way that was in total unity and oneness with the Father. And no one would debate whether or not the Father was capable of a sound judgment. And so if Jesus can judge in accord with the judgment of the Father, perfect accord, then obviously his judgment is
difficult, undeniable, and irrefutable. Jesus had been testified to by himself and the Father to his true identity as the Christ. And we see even the response when the people, John 30, 31, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? And even Jesus says in John 14, 11, look, even if you don't believe me, at least believe the works. Believe because of them, the works. And to the Pharisees here, again, being confronted with the reality that Jesus is, in fact, his genuine
Jesus said he'll send it to them immediately in John 7:34 that they would seek him but would not find him, and as a result, they would die in their sins. And this doesn't necessarily mean that they will personally seek after Jesus, that they will come to their senses and realize that they need to seek him and then not find him. What it likely means is that they will continue to look for the Messiah, continue to anticipate the Messiah, the one that they're looking for in in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures, and will die in their sin because he already came and they rejected him. in the plural in a moment, but here it's in the singular. You will die in your sin. And he could be putting his finger on a particular sin, the sin of unbelief, which the sin of unbelief settles a person in their condemnation. To die in their sin would be to die in their unbelief, to die under the power and penalty of sin. No forgiveness of sin, the guarantee of divine wrath, eternal judgment, the weeping and gnashing of teeth will cease.
the source of eternal life, the one promised in the Old Testament, if you but, unless you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you will die in your sin. The question is this, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Vindicated that he is, in fact, who he says he is, 
can do actually and will actually discern and will judge the living and the dead and all the rest. The, the Jews and Pharisees who rejected him and refused to take him at his claim and were stubborn in their unbelief will meet him at his judgment seat and he will judge them for their sin and will throw them into the lake of fire. Him, confessing that he is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the 
Thank you. 